Gen Leadership Podcast. Well, we're back for another week of our show here. We still have yet to come up with an official name of what we're going to make this episode, but uh, we're excited. We're excited to get back after. Jonathan, how was your Thanksgiving? How was everything over the holidays for you? Oh, it was great. It was great. Can't uh, can't complain. Got to go out to St. Louis with the in-laws and uh, drama-free. Get to see the brother-in-law and everything. So uh, can't complain there. It was delicious. Cowboys played okay. <laughs> Lions yep. almost got their first win. Cost me a little bit of money. Made, made Thanksgiving Day <laughs> interesting. But uh, other than that, it was great. How about you, man? Good. A lot of travel. I had to drive from Madison to Chicago. Well, from St. Paul to Madison to Chicago, then back up to Madison and back up to uh, St. Paul. So a lot of travel for me, but good to see the entire family for the first Thanksgiving and uh, a lot of moving around. So Can't beat that. Can't beat that. Yeah, that was my first uh, quote unquote normal Thanksgiving in a couple years, too. I was in the Dominican in 2019. And then I, you know, my fiance had COVID last year. Uh, She got it like a week before Thanksgiving. So that was the first time we had actually got a chance to spend some time with family over the holidays in a couple years as well. Good. Well, that's good to hear. It's uh, finally a time where we can start seeing people again. And I think people are starting to get back to that enjoyment of what life is like before. But um baseball has changed for us as well um i think that's one of the big topics we're here to talk to everyone today about what's happening in major league baseball right now um obviously with jonathan's experience and and his uh expertise uh in not only the financial planning world with with what players are doing with contracts and things like that um but uh there's so much out there and so much information uh, around the MLB lockout that we thought it'd be a good idea to just get to some of the basics of what this really means um, and some of our own opinions on you know what might happen to the game of baseball here um, if different scenarios play out. So, uh, Jonathan, you want to fill us in a little bit about what's been happening and what MLB announced earlier this week? Yeah, so uh, unless you... If you're a baseball fan, unless you've been living under a rock, you uh, you know that uh, as of a couple of days ago, MLB uh, locked the players out. So big thing to understand is the difference between what a lockout and a strike is. So uh, in this case, a lockout is actually initiated by the owners. Uh, so the owners have literally locked players out of uh, the team facilities. Uh, players are not allowed to use the team facilities. That is including rehab players. They are not going in to do their rehab at the team facility. Uh, you're not allowed to contact team personnel. Uh, I don't know if you've been on MLB.com or been on Twitter. A bunch of guys are changing their profile pictures to the uh, the Joe Schmo, like a default creative player uh, headshot <laughs> from, you know, and uh, that's because they are not allowed to use the likenesses right now. So uh, MLB.com, if you go on there, like the whole leaderboards, like all the stats and stuff, it's all just blank faces. So uh kind of as I think a little running joke amongst all the, the guys in the 40 man and then the big leagues, they, uh, they decided to all change their profile pictures to that on, on social media, which I, I found uh, particularly hilarious. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but essentially the lockout just means it's an entire shutdown of the baseball ops. Uh, this is in comparison to a strike, which would be initiated by the players. 
Uh, a lot of comparisons to 1994, which is the last time MLB had a labor stoppage. Uh, strike would be initiated by the actual players themselves in the union, uh, where they are initiating the work stoppage and basically saying, we refuse to play until you meet our demands. Um, so that's kind of the big difference uh, that I try to explain to people is, you know, the court of public opinion, you know, everybody knows whose salaries are or what the salaries are of all the players. They don't really know how much the owners are worth, but uh, this is a whole bunch of billionaires stopping MLB operations. This is not caused by the players. And so as a fan, when I'm looking at this, is it because there's a disagreement between uh, the owners and the players or what is the, you know, the collective bargaining agreement? What does all that mean to a player uh, versus an owner? Yeah. So the collective bargaining agreement is just the, uh, the negotiated uh, standards that are set for the different contracts, rules, just basically the, the rules of operation between the owners and the players union. And uh, that expired on December 1st. And as soon as that came into expiration, they did not have an agreement. Uh, they've been negotiating for months now about trying to come to an agreement. And each side has offered different proposals, uh, but they weren't able to get to one. And they are quite frankly, pretty far off from everything that I've read and heard when uh, talking to players and agents and things like that. A um, couple of the big contentions are, number one is the salary cap. Uh, Ownership is seeking to set a floor of around 100 million, uh, but it, the proposal looks like it's kind of a soft floor with penalties for being under the cap, almost similar to the way that there's the luxury tax at the top end, where you you can go over, but you pay penalties for going over. Uh, and the ownership is trying to bring that luxury tax threshold down to about 180 million. Gotcha. Yeah. That's and, the big one. Yeah. And there's, you know, also the you, you might have mentioned this already, but raising the minimum for player salary, um, you know, salaries in major league baseball. There's a difference between professional baseball players in minor leagues and major leagues. Correct. So like the, if you reach the major leagues, you would get a major league salary, which is a minimum of uh, I believe it right now. It's a five hundred seventy one thousand dollars a year. Yep, that's right. Yep. Okay. So five seventy is the minimum. Uh, they're trying to bring that up. That's the lowest minimum out of all the four major sports, you know, NFL, NBA, NHL. Uh, they all have higher minimums than that. So uh, I, I think one of the biggest things that MLBPA is trying to do is bring that floor up closer to uh, where it is or even above uh, where the rest of the leagues are. Um, and then that's a huge one. And then the the difference between the major and minor leagues is uh, very significant. So minor league baseball is not represented by MLBPA. Uh, once you get to the 40 man, then you come under the, uh, the umbrella of MLBPA and you now get that representation. Um, so yeah, that is a huge, that's a huge uh, caveat to this whole thing as well. Is this, when we speak about the lockout and MLBPA, that is just major league players and players on the 40 man roster. Uh, every other person who's on the UPC, the Uniform Player Contract in the minor leagues, they don't have a seat at this table. So that's a, that's another uh, big piece of this uh, with my, our, you know, my work at More Than Baseball and uh, being tied in with advocates for minor leaguers as well. Like that is a big piece of it where the, those guys are not being represented. So, uh, but at the major league level, raising the minimum, uh, trying to prevent tanking, which is part of the reason why they have this up. They're trying to put the salary floor in place is uh, – 
players are really concerned. I mean, you have teams like the Pirates and the Orioles who are going to go spend $30 million this year, which is, I mean, basically equivalent to what they're getting in revenue share. So they're, they're just pocketing all this money and they're going to go lose 110 games, right? So that's, uh, that's something where teams just aren't even trying to win and therefore they're not spending money on free agent players. Uh, and that's a huge point of contention for MLBPA. Uh, to try and get teams to actually try and win and be forced to spend money on talent. Right. And you, you have to spend money on talent these days. And there was a, there was a conversation that happened uh, earlier this week when I was watching ESPN about it's a separation between winning 87 games and 91 games, you know, or whatever that may be to get you into the playoffs. Uh, teams that need those extra wins throughout the season have to spend more money. Um, and as a result, it, it really affects the play on the field um, and how teams are shaped and how owners are making decisions and, and GMs and things like that. Uh, but it, it's, it's quite interesting to see the dynamic between an owner who, who has kind of this, you know, we're putting this lockdown versus being an actual player. You know, it, you probably didn't ever go through a lockout in your time, um, you know, because there was never, never anything like this since 1994. But as a player, what's your attitude going into something like this and, and throughout the offseason now that this is in play? Are you are you worried? Um, does it affect the way you train? Uh, what does that what does that mean to you as a player? Well, as a player, I, I know just guys that I've worked with on the financial side, you know, we're we're expect the worst, right? You you plan for the worst and anything better than that's a blessing and you you you'll be fine. But uh you know, we're, we're making sure guys, you know, from a personal finance standpoint, just have enough liquid cash. We're planning on, you know, hey, if we miss game checks in April, you know, we're going to have enough cash to make it make sure all the bills are paid and everything's good to go. Um, so that's a that's a big thing. I think uh, the overall sentiment is that there's a wide gap, but there's, you know, three plus months until spring training. So hopefully, you know, December, January, you know, and February, so really two and a half months, uh, you got a chance. MLBP has a chance to find a common ground and get something done uh, before spring training starts getting eaten up and then potentially having a chance to, to miss games. Um, but the sentiment uh, from my conversations with guys is pretty bad. I mean, guys are definitely worried. It's a wide gap between the two economic proposals, one coming from the league, one coming from the PA. And neither side has really shown a willingness to blink or budge yet. And uh, there's a lot of contention, I think, left over from the uh, the way the coronavirus season was handled back in 2020 with the shortened season um, and the canceling of the minor leagues and the pay cuts that players were forced to take, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to see, but there's definitely a lot of cause for concern out there from the player standpoint. Yeah. Do anybody or does anybody on the more than baseball organization have uh, a connection to these conversations um, when it's advocating for minor leaguers. I know there, there's a separation between the 40 man roster and the, the MLBPA and the, what, what was the word you use the um, for minor leaguers? Uh, as far as representation. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So they just don't have any at all. Like they, they are a completely separate entity there. They do not have a seat at the table. So um, okay. with, with more than baseball, uh, you know, we're we're working on some stuff. Big thing right now is is trying to get some housing uh, questionnaires filled out for for uh, teams to have data points on what players actually want. Um, 
And then advocates for minor leaguers. I mean, there's there's been some movements of, you know, attempting to try and create some sort of minor league union or have MLBPA absorb minor league players. Um, we'll see. I, I, I think that would be super cool if MLBPA would bring minor leaguers under the wing. But in my personal opinion, I think that they have so many other issues at hand right now that uh, it's going to be tough to, to do something like that this offseason. But the sentiment is definitely there. I think the public opinion is out there now where people are starting to realize the play of the minor leaguers. So uh, I'm hopeful that there is some sort of relief or representation coming uh, for minor league players as well. Awesome. Well, that's great to know. And it, it, it does, as a, as a fan myself, when I take uh, in, in into perspective, I'm kind of watching some of the big, the big names right now. Like a Max Scherzer signed his, his contract, right? $43 million, biggest contract in baseball right now. Um, you know, and then I saw something with Justin Verlander uh, where he was going to sign with the Astros, but that never actually went through. Um, so now he's kind of stuck, right? I mean, in some sense, he doesn't have any negotiating power during this time. He can't do anything. Um, so is that going to affect guys in free agency right now um, during this period? Yeah, so it's a complete freeze. So that's actually why you saw, you know, those – last two weeks, right? I mean, it was like how many, I think it was like $1.7 billion worth of contract value was handed out. Um, and I think there was a couple reasons for that. One is that I think pretty much all the GMs got the word from the owners be like, Hey, like 12, one, like this, we're done. Like this is like, we're pretty confident there's going to be a lockout. So we need to lock up some of this talent now. Um, but in my personal opinion, I think the GMs got the directives to try and sign some of these deals early because then you have an anchoring number, right? Like when, for a, from a court of public opinion standpoint, uh, average fan sees, whoa, Scherzer just got a hundred plus million dollars over three years. You know, uh, there was a bunch of different nine figure deals thrown out there. I mean, Cody Bellinger got 300 plus million. Uh, Barrios got over a hundred million from the Blue Jays. Like there was a bunch of guys that got some pretty big time deals. Um, Wander Franco signing a, a 12 year, hundred and some odd million, $80 million deal, 11 year, 184, I think it was. So there's some anchoring numbers at play there too, where, you know, from an ownership standpoint, it's like, Hey, look, we just paid Wander 180 million. We paid Scherzer 43 million a year. What do you mean you guys don't get any money? Right. So I think it, part of it had to do with being a bargaining chip for the ownership to try and uh, kind of sway the court of a public opinion. Cause like I said earlier, you can go online and you can look up every single guy in the big league salary. You know exactly how much every single guy out there is making. But from a standpoint of you don't know what you don't know the revenues from the ownership. You don't know how much each team's bringing in. You don't know any of that. So the closed book, you don't know what you don't know versus being able to go out and look up how much Max Scherzer is going to make next year. And, and for your average fan who you know has gone through the coronavirus, there's been a lot of job losses in the last two years that's a tough sell to uh, tell a bunch of guys who are getting paid multi multiple millions of dollars uh, to play a game that, Oh, we, we deserve more. And I think that was part of the, part of the plot there uh, from the owners. Yeah. You know, I was reading a stat that again, just doing research on all this, it's like the average MLB team is worth $1.9 billion. And uh, in 1994, when this whole, you know, the last time this happened, not nearly 10 times less than what it's worth today. 
So for all this to kind of happen in a season to occur, revenues might be lost for that team. And it's going to be a lot more costlier for an MLB organization to, you know, have something like this. So in some sense, it goes back to the players. They almost have the upper hand in that. Am I, am I right in that in some sense? I think that the players probably have a little bit of an advantage. Um, but I also do think that the, the coronavirus season really affected things where I don't know if there's as much of an appetite to lose games where if we, you know, if that never happens and you play a full 162 and the economic landscape is normal uh, in both real life and in the baseball world, I think this is a much more contentious debate. And I think there's a lot more appetite from the players union to just drag this out and just try and bury the owners. But one, you had a lot of guys lose a lot of money, like lose out on a lot of contract value. I mean, you were making 40 cents on 30 cents on the dollar uh, if you were on a on a free agent deal in 2020. So I don't know if there's a lot of lot of uh, appetite to to miss more games and potentially miss out on more money uh, for the second time in three years. Um, and also, it's just why would you want to, from an owner standpoint, you lost out on revenue. So why would you want to, and you had to play a whole season with no fans. And in a lot of cases, even earlier in 2021, some places were still limited on fans as well. So why would they want to miss games? So I think it's going to be a pretty big game of chicken, but I I'm hopeful that something will get done at the 11th hour because there's, there's reasons on both sides to get something done and play a full 162. Absolutely. And, that, you know, you look at the macro economy of everything as well. You know, a lot of a lot of people are have wage shortages or job shortages out there. Right. And, and wages are increasing because of that, because they're trying to find good talent and they just can't. You know, that's not only happening in the game of baseball and sports, but in just our if you look at our general economy, there's so many people out there that are asking for more money. Um, because they can't find good talent. And if you're talented in whatever you do, whether that's your job or it's in baseball and sports, you're going to ask for more money throughout your entire career until you hit your peak and then you're on your, your next phase in life. And so I think there's a lot of correlation for, you. again, your everyday fan uh, to have a little bit of leverage to what a player you know might have in some sense. And so in my opinion, I think the players kind of get to – not necessarily, obviously there's so many different rules, but they, they kind of get the the upper hand in some sense and figure out exactly what they want. And, and nobody's really ever going to budge in this situation, right? It's all kind of a personal opinion as to I want what I want, but uh, that's just from, from my research and understanding what I've seen um, from just our sense coronavirus has, has become an issue in our world. Um, more individuals have, have added that power uh, to say, you know, this is what I really want in life. And if I'm going to go after this, I'm, I'm good at it. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, you're going to pay for my time. Uh, so I'm learning a lot about that as we go here, but uh, have you seen players over the last six to eight months to, or, or not, just since this has happened, kind of start preparing for something like this uh, and what that's going to look like, you know, in all situations, what, what things they're doing to kind of, prep themselves for the events that are occurring? Oh, yeah. I mean, this really has started back in like that off season of, you know, 16, 17 and 17, 18, where the free agent market was just ice cold. 
where Mustakis got a $7 million one deal when he turned down four years, 64, right? Like, and then all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's scrambling for a contract there, you know, right before spring training and signs a one year deal for way below market value uh, compared to his historical performances. So, and, and it's just continued to, to bubble up and the, and more issues came up with, with the coronavirus stuff in 2020. But this is, this has been, like December of 2021 has been on the radar. Like I've been having conversations about December 21 for three years with guys about like, sure. man, this CBA, this next CBA, this is going to be a dog fight. Um, you know, cause there's a lot of, I mean, the revenues are going up. I mean, the revenues are, have continued to go up outside of 2020. The trend has been extremely high. I mean, talking about we're at a, a, was it 11 figure revenue over $10 billion a year that MLB is doing now with new TV deals, new regional contracts coming in uh, more streaming availability. Uh, there's a lot more money in the game, even post 2020 and players are like, Hey, we're, we're losing out on our fair share. And the big, the big thing is it's the younger guys. Like the, the big conversation is players under 30 that haven't reached free agency or are in those first three years of team control on the minimum. And then you go ARB one, ARB two, ARB three, where it's still not free market economics. You are locked into the team that has you under control. Um, that's, that's a big point of contention. I, I have this chart. We'll have to throw this up in the show notes. I tweeted out this chart earlier from a, from a thread that was great, but it was talking about the, uh, the difference between base salary and the age of the player and the dollar per war basis that it was. And it was like age players age 22 to 28 basically were underpaid by a combined total of like $800 million last year, because you have teams that are just stacking up talent that's under the age of 28 in their first three years of team control. And those are their best players. Those are the Wander Francos, you know, the John means is the, you know, all these young players that are on rookie deals that are making a 550K a year, but they're providing $30 million worth of value if they have a, you know, four or five war season. So, and then on the backside of it, when you pass 30, you're typically getting overpaid for your past performance. That was a, that was a concept that I had a conversation with Craig Council, the manager of uh, Milwaukee Brewers in spring training in 2018. So he was a player rep. Uh, back in the day when he played and we were kind of talking about it because he was talking about the free agent market of the of the year before and kind of talking about the new CBA coming up in December of 21. And that's what he said. He's like, historically speaking, what has happened in baseball is you're underpaid on your way up through the prime of your career. And then you're usually at your prime or just past it once you reach free agency and you're a little you're overpaid on the back end of your career for the production that you had in the front end. But now what's happened is once you kind of get to 30, 31, you're not seeing those multi-year deals for older players, right? So that's a huge, that's a huge reason why the 29 and a half free agency uh, proposal that MLB submitted is just like a non-starter for the players. Union. They're like, absolutely not. Like look at the historical value of the contracts that you've given to players over the age of 30 in the last few years, they, they went away, they disappeared. So that is, that is the, kind of one of the big like economic that gets at the heart of the discussion from an economic standpoint uh, when it comes to where they're trying to go with these negotiations. That's awesome. It's it, quite the topic that we can dive into, but we don't want to go too deep into it, you know, further than this because it can sometimes get confusing in some sense as well. So 
that knowledge that you have is the reason why you're, you've had so much success with this niche in this market and especially financial planning. You were talking a little early before the show about what players are specifically doing over the next six, eight months for the, for the guys that are listening in uh, that, that don't have something in place, what things can they do to prepare, um, you know, in, in these scenarios uh, as they go about uh, the next couple of, I guess, months and years. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is I know it's, it's kind of cliche, but that emergency fund is just so important. I mean, that's kind of personal finance 101, you know, for, for what I like to call a, a NARP, a non-athletic regular person like you and I these days, right? Like we're both hung, we both hung it up. You know, you're looking at that three to six months of liquid cash that you kind of need just to, for anything that comes up in your, you know, your day-to-day -day life or whatever it is. But, uh, with the athletes, I mean, we, I always preach, Hey, you should probably have about nine to 12 months worth of cash flow uh, to cover those expenses, just sitting there ready to go at your disposal just to have. Um, and that's something that I've been putting on my clients radar since the summer. It's like, while well, those game checks are going in, it's like, Hey, you know, you're probably going to want to have an extra 50 or $75,000 liquid just laying around just in case this does go into the, the start of the season. And that was, uh, that's been something that we've been talking about. And uh, even with guys, it was sending a little extra cash out of the investment account, you know, markets within a couple points of all time highs, even with the last couple of days of, you know, some red on the screen. It's like, hey, we're within five points of, of an all time high. Let's take some chips off the table. Let's make sure we have plenty of cash. Uh, so that way, if we were down 20 percent in April, that's not when we're having to go get uh, more dollars out and, and selling a down market uh, to where you know, then you're getting the double whammy where you're having to sell down, use that money out. And then if we're buying back later in the season, once the check starts again and the market's back up where it was, you know, you're in that, that quintessential buy low or, or, you know, sell low, buy high situation where we, uh, we just don't want to be. Right. And, and there's a lot of opportunity for tax loss servicing here at the end of the year. If you, if you do have big downs and big, uh, big swings and things like that, but like you said, the market's at an all-time high, so it's interesting to see what's going to come over the next couple of months. But a great point, you know, it, the emergency fund is so huge to have, whether you're in baseball or just life in general. You never know. I mean, my girlfriend, for example, uh, she's a manager at a restaurant and bar and grill in a local town, and you never would have ex expected it, but she had to prepare for, you know, what was to come when she was out of work. And, you know, they had the all the unemployment stuff going on and, and whatever it was, but those little things like that, uh, you, you can't stress it enough. If, if you don't have those emergency funds set away, um, some, something could sneak up like that and, and really bite you in the butt when it comes to being prepared for the next steps of, of what life has to throw at you. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, there are, the players union has a trust and they have, they have a emergency fund of their own where they can start, sending out 0% interest loans and certain types of payments to players if games checks are starting to get missed, but that's not going to be a hundred percent salary replacement either. And that's, and that's one of the things that we talk about is you just, you need to be good on your own. There are other resources out there through the union and other things that are going to be able to help you. But at the end of the day, you're responsible for your own house and you got to make sure that, you know, you got your stuff in order. Uh, and that's something that we just been preparing for, right? Like I said, during the season, you got to just you got to put money away for the offseason anyway. Um, and particularly in these types of situations, we were like, hey, whatever we think we need, we're probably going to need about one and a half, maybe two times more than normal, just in case. Right. 
Absolutely. Well, great points on that. And uh, anything else as far as this stuff goes, you think that's vital for our listeners to take it, take note on as this as the next couple of months unfold here with what's going on with Major League Baseball? Uh, just team player. I, I just hope <laughs> I hope that the fans are on the side of the players and not the owners. I get where you're coming from when you say all oh, these greedy athletes, all they want is another extra million. Well, I'll tell you right now, there is a lot of thousand errors in the big leagues. You know, with that with that three years of service time facing on the minimum 570-ish, after you net it out, you're about you're less than about 280, 300 after that. So you are really not a legitimate millionaire even until you get to arbitration unless you sign for a couple million bucks in the draft. If you're a, a mid-round guy that got to the big leagues and had success and is now in your arbitration year at you know three years of service time, you're not you're not a legitimate millionaire yet. You're you have maybe close to that. You've made over a million dollars, but you are probably not a millionaire unless you have big bonus money that you got from the draft. So that's that's who this is really about. Like the guys at the top are going to get their nine figure deals still. Like that's that's going to be a thing forever. But what this is doing is it's raising the seat or raising the floor up providing more economic opportunity for those guys that are not going to play. They're not your household names, but those are guys that have a chance to, you know, play a couple years in the big leagues, set their families up uh, and, and come out of it on the back end with, with a much better situation. Uh, but most of those guys, I mean, you end up, you end up working a job anyways, once you're done and you are not a multi multi-millionaire and not every single guy is worth a hundred million dollars. Like, like some of the fans kind of get that misconception. You are not necessarily ultra rich, just because you play in the big leagues. And baseball is glamorized, right? You, like you said, the, the MLB has so much opportunity to spread who they are and that that ability to glamorize the game and say, hey, we're on Fox, we're on ABC, we're on ESPN, we're able to get to any market, kids, adults, old you know, grandparents, wherever it is, everybody knows Major League Baseball. But nobody really understands what the listeners who are players and you and I and some of these, you know, amateur college players really go through on a day to day basis. If you're an athlete who's listening to the show, you have something in the back of your head, you know, a college and late bus night, like bus eight hour bus rides. Right. Or late nights games get done at 11 o'clock and the next day you got to turn around and have a day game or whatever that is. Right. Your body's beat up. You know, you have football is a great example, you know, traumatic injuries that can cause a lot of problems later in your life. Right. I mean, so much goes into the game of baseball that the everyday fan doesn't see in media and on television. And that's what a lot of these conversations, I think behind the scenes are, are about too, is it's, it's about your mental and physical health as a player, you know, and, and that money you're putting your body on the line every single day um, to for somebody to glamorize and make this game, you know, money too, right? So that idea, you know, might seem easy on paper, but even to your comments that you have the knowledge that you've brought to the game and this conversation, it's it's a different dynamic inside of it, you know, and peel those peel those layers back. So. Um, really really interesting topic to dive into and um what what can players do or or anybody who's interested in this topic uh do to kind of have further conversations with you and i 
um, if they wanted to? What, 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 what's the first couple steps within that? Yeah, I'll make one final point and then answer that question. <laughs> Just uh, when it comes to being able to cash in and like you said, the, the putting your body on the line and things like that, you have a very narrow window of opportunity to cash in your, uh, your chance to make a lot of money uh, playing the game of baseball. But the way the game is structured and the way the system is structured right now, minor league uniform player contract is a seven-year contract. Every single person that signs out of the draft signs the same seven-year contract. Okay, so in theory, you can be under team control for seven years in the minor leagues and then get put on the 40-man in the offseason after your seventh full season in the minors. And then you are under team control at the big league level for six more years before you reach free agency. So in theory, you can be under team control for 13 years with one team and never have a chance to go hit the open market. So that's just backwards. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. If if MLB or baseball is going to be America's pastime and we're a free market society, how are you going to lock somebody up for potentially up to 13 years before they can ever reach the open market? And I don't care if you're 18 years old when you sign, that still puts you at 31 when you're actually able, and you're already basically past your prime uh, to be able to do it. I, I, I haven't seen it really too many times, but I do know Tyrone Taylor, perfect example of Milwaukee Brewers, played out his whole minor league contract, then gets put on a 40-man. So he was under team control for like nine, 10 years before he even gets to arbitration, before he can even cash in and make a, make a seven-figure deal. So uh, that's, just, that's just another point to consider on, on why they're trying to shorten the timeline for these guys to be able to hit the open market uh, and actually be able to realize their their fair value uh, in that open market. Um, but getting a hold of us, uh, reaching out to me, you can get a, get a hold of me, Twitter, Instagram, uh, jparron46. Uh, you can also reach out to me uh, via the More Than Baseball website. Uh, happy to help you, any current or uh, minor or big league players uh, kind of figure out what's going on here uh, and provide them with some more information and some resources. Uh, more Than Baseball is still doing the grant program. Uh, we pay out 97% of all donations that we get with that, with, with that organization coming in. 97 plus percent of it's going out. They're not paying salaries. They're not doing any of that. It's all getting back into the hands of players uh, and helping players. So uh, those are a couple of different ways you can get a hold of me. Awesome. And, and for listeners that are on the show, if there's some a topic like this that, that you find really interesting and, and want to learn more about, please feel re- free to reach out to both of us and, and let's, let's have that conversation. If you'd like to join the show, uh, we're more than willing to have, have you and, and listen to your opinions as well as your perspective. Um, we love having these conversations and, and this is just the beginning of where we're going with these opportunities to discuss and, and share the ideas around the game of baseball with you. So with that, we want to thank you, Jonathan. Any last thoughts on your end? No, this is great. Hopefully we get to have some baseball come springtime and uh, hopefully a good deal for the players comes out of it as well. Awesome. Well, great. Appreciate your time today and uh, we'll see you next time.
This material was produced individually and for general information purposes only and is not intended to be used as recommendations for investors. Past performance does not guarantee future results. The accuracy and completeness of the information is not guaranteed and is subject to change. The material prepared is not a solicitation to buy any security or instrument or participate in any investment strategy.